He finally went out to L.A. a couple weeks before this festival began, moved up our trip away from that weekend. Brian and Bree had told us, I said, bet you're looking forward to your time at the country festival. And he said, you know, we just sold our tickets. And we sold our tickets because, you know, we really were going, and then something inside just said, don't go. And I got thinking, you know, Bree is five months pregnant, and uh, you actually could have came that weekend. And, uh, of course, we uh, that weekend, like probably most of us, went to bed not knowing until the next morning the tragedy that would hit on the West Coast there at 10 o'clock that night. Brian's sister-in-law, Bree, did go to the event. And uh, when I got up the next morning and caught the news, I immediately texted my son, who happened to be up that early in L.A., and he said, Dad, that is the concert, yes, that we were supposed to be at. And he said, in fact, Bree was there and she was in the middle, or uh, Trish, Bree's sister, was there. She was in the middle of it. And I started getting these texts. We started getting these texts about 10, 15 that night. And we, uh, we, we were told that uh, she left a voicemail message. We could actually hear the gunfire. And she was panicky and just begging us to take care of her children and her husband who were back in L.A. She said, I don't think I'm going to make it out of here. And He said the terror in her voice was chilling. She somehow managed to get over a 10-foot chain-link fence, ended up, and you can go to the next slide, ended up uh, being cut, bruised, actually broke her collarbone, but was just thankful to be alive. She said, Literally, shots were hitting the ground all around me, and two friends of hers actually got shot. We couldn't help but to think as you look at this tragedy and you look at the faces of the 58 victims there, that there's uh, there's two spots in the corner there for victim 59 and victim 60. And I don't make light of this, but I can't help but wonder... I can't help but wonder if I could have been staring there at the face of my son and daughter-in-law. The very small community by L.A. standards that we grew up in, or I should say raised our kids in and we lived in for 20 years, in fact had eight people killed in that group. It rocked our old community. One of the uh, couples who's very dear to us, disciples in the church, he actually heads up the uh, worship team, their daughter's fiance got shot. And it was in the hospital for about two weeks, was lucky to escape with his life. The doctors, one of those stories millimeters away from ending your life or your ability to walk. I share that with you to say, how many times do we pray for the safety of our loved ones? How many times do we pray for the safety of our children and have no idea, truly, the impact those prayers will have? This one hit a little too close to home. And I got on my knees that morning and thank God, as did Connie, that 
He had protected and spared our family of the tragedy, sadly, that hit so many other families that weekend. I share that very sobering reminder with you to tell you that to believe in the Bible is to believe that angels are active in the life of disciples. I don't know how you can read the Bible and draw any other conclusion but that conclusion. You know, sometimes when we read the Scriptures, we see that their deeds are easily recognized as supernatural. But on other occasions, they appear as run-of-the-mill events. When I studied out angels in the Bible, I discovered on some occasions they had wings. On others, they were clearly in human form. Sometimes their feet were on the ground. Sometimes they were hovering in the sky. Sometimes they appeared in ones or even twos. And then on some occasions, they were in a large multitude. You know, sometimes, rarely, they were visible in Scripture. But more than often, they maintained their invisibility. What I discovered was simply this, and you can change the slide out. What I discovered was that angels are practically everywhere. And I even put before you that they might even and very likely are in here right now with us this morning. Now, I know some of you are skeptical, but, but just hold that thought to the end of the message And I'll tie it together for you, and I think you might be more convinced. But you know, as we we clearly study out angels in the Scriptures, one of the things that I want to make sure that you understand is that in no way are angels to be worshipped. In fact, we see clearly in the Scriptures we're not to get caught up in worshipping angels. And we also see in Scripture that even stop those who bow down to worship them and told them to get up. You know, what's so amazing about these servants is that they have the kind of, of character that we really want to imitate as disciples. Because really what they are is incredibly humble servants who are happy to serve behind the scenes, often unnoticed, and yet their their character is such that they want us to simply be served and to be benefited, those of us who are in the Lord, so that uh, we can be more effective in serving God here on earth. I told you last Sunday that I believe of the 200 and some verses on angels in the Scriptures, probably the best in my opinion, and the most exciting is found in Hebrews 1, verse 14. And it reads, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's truly, if you embrace it and really meditate on it, That's truly a chilling verse because it involves 
us. It involves us, and it tells us that to those who right now in this audience are in Christ and inheriting their salvation, God wants you to know you're not alone, and he's got servants that are at your beckoning prayer call to minister powerfully to further God's kingdom and enhance his glory here on earth. We saw last Sunday how angels were often God's response to our prayers. Let me just ask you, how's your prayer life been this week? I got to tell you, for me, it's been a completely engaging week. I'll share more about it next Sunday, but, but I got to tell you, I, I rarely get with people now that I don't take time right there to be prayer partners with them. I find myself not just trying to have some uh, required quiet time in the morning, but really I found myself this week praying all through the day. And I realize that so many of the prayers in the Bible are simple, short, powerful, but simple prayers. And that we can pray anywhere, on the job, on the road, coming and going. Connie and I are committed to praying with each other every single day in our marriage. How are you doing, husbands, on that challenge? Roommates, how are you doing creating that household of prayer? If you think this is just another sermon topic and something that we're going to hit on for a couple weeks and we won't talk about prayer again very often for a while, you've got another thing coming. Because I am telling you, as we embark on a new year, I want a new culture in our ministry. And I want this to be, as Jesus said, the house of prayer. The family of God will be a family of prayer. And we're going to be prayer partners to each other and hold up each other's arms, just as Aaron and Ur did of Moses, as we saw last week. So clearly, we now know that angels assist God in answering our prayers. But this morning, what I want to talk about is, secondly, another great ministry that angels have in our life, and one that, as I shared in the opening story, is very needed with each of us. And that is, angels are sent to serve, and often how they serve us is they watch over us and they protect us. They watch over us and protect us. Let me bless you this morning with one of the by far most encouraging psalms, if not the single most encouraging psalm in the book of Psalms. It's often been referred to as the cheery the cheery psalm. It's a psalm that uh, is full of faith and, and hard to be downtrodden no matter what is going on in your life after you read this psalm. You say, well, how am I going to remember this when I need it in the future? Well, I'll give you a little helpful hint. It's often referred to as the 911 psalm. 911 is who you call when you're in trouble. 
And basically, it's Psalm 91, starting in verse 1, 911, if you will. But that psalm, we'll pick it up in verse 9 for time's sake, and it says this. And by the way, scholars are pretty much in agreement that Moses wrote this psalm. It's a psalm of Moses. And then it was a psalm that the Levites would often use in the worship service. And it was also a psalm that was sung often by the Israelites as they wandered in the desert for 40 years. This would have been on their top five request list. And you can only imagine what those 40 years were like. But in verse 9 it says, if you say, if you say, and how about you church, do you say the Lord is my refuge? And you make the most high your dwelling, your home, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And then it goes on and says many other things about the protection that God gives you. You you may recognize uh, verses 11 and 12 when it says he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I'll tell you why you might recognize that because Satan tried to use that on Jesus in Luke 4 when he was in the desert being tempted after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I find it fascinating that Satan was so aware of the angelic beings and is so fixated on it that he tries to trip Jesus up by getting Jesus to do something that he shouldn't do, and that is test the Lord his God. You know, to put it bluntly, angels watch over and protect us, but I wouldn't go jumping off a 30-foot bridge into the Jack's Fork River just to see what that's like as I did as a teenage boy. And I hit the bottom of the river and sprung back up, and I thank God I can still walk today. You know, angels protect us, but doesn't mean that we need to be stupid. We get into enough trouble being smart, we don't really need to test the Lord. And so with Psalm 91 in mind, our 911 Psalm, let's look at a couple occasions where great men had to call 911. And the first one is enter Hezekiah, one of my favorite examples of angels. And Hezekiah is, uh, at this point, surrounded by Assyrians. Israel is once again just hounded by their enemies. And this is one of the most chilling, chilling examples of angels protecting God's own. But in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. That was before email. 
Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. He brought it before God in prayer. It wasn't an encouraging message from the Assyrians. Basically, it's you're as good as dead. And Hezekiah 911 prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, a throne between the cherubim, you alone are God over all, all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words. Sennacherib has sent the ins- to insult the living God. Now that's what a prayer looks like. He didn't babble for a half hour. He just laid the threat out to God's people before the Lord. He begged God, give this your attention. I know you have a lot going on, but this is kind of 911. And he just poured out his heart and he says, God, they're insulting you. What are you going to do about it? Now that's a prayer. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they are not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from the hand, from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Pretty shrewd reasoning prayer. You know, I would say to you, so many of the great men who prayed in the Bible, like Abraham bargaining over Lot, and now we see Hezekiah here pleading to the Lord. They're shrewdly, they're appealing to the heart of God. I remember when we begged God to spare Connie's mom, I said, God, surely you want this woman to be with you for eternity. Give us a few more weeks, and I give you my word that we will go and share the gospel with her. And I prayed and begged God, as many did, that prayer. You see, I just want you to know again today, and it's a real simple focus here, prayer puts incredible things in motion. Prayerlessness is dullness. Prayerlessness is boredom. Boredom for you spiritually, but think about your poor angels. But prayer puts incredible things in the heavenly realms in motion, as we saw last week. In verse 20, it says, Then Isaiah, son of Amzah, sent a message to Hezekiah. You see how quick God answers prayer on most occasions? This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of the Assyrians. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. Look at this answer. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. 
By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Well, that very night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death a hundred and eighty. 5,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp, and he withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Wow. Are you a little bit motivated to pray more often? Do you really think I don't have the eloquence? I don't have the time. How much time does it really take? Maybe we should just take some of the time that we're spending sinning just a thought, and spend it in prayer. Some of us really, really need God's protection right now. I mean, I'll just say, Damon Donato, boy, I'd be praying right now. <laughs> Takes a lot of moxie to wear a Kansas City jersey and be up here on the worship team, right? I can't make any guarantees for your safety, and I don't know if any prophet is going to come quickly now and bring you a message from God about your safety, but I'm just saying, I'd be praying if I were you. Man, Hezekiah had one of the biggest battles in military history, and it simply changed the course of history. Well, there's so many other amazing examples that I don't even have time to look at with you. But knowing how skeptical you are, let's go over to the New Testament for our other example. Because I know you're thinking, well, that's Israel with the great leadership they had back in a powerful time when God worked in a way he doesn't work today. Really. Well, enter Peter. One of my favorite angel stories on protection in the Bible in Acts 12. In Acts chapter 12, in verse 1, the setting, the Bible tells us, was about the time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. That's you and I, guys. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. You say, well, did James not pray enough? Why didn't God protect him? Listen, we always pray in the will of God. And then we let God determine the events that he allows to happen or that he might even directly cause to happen here on earth. 
You know, there's just some things I'm really comfortable with as a 40-year-old disciple to say, I just don't have the hardware to try to figure out an infinite, omnipotent, omnipresent, no beginning, no ending being. Let God be God and just get on with your little earthly business. So, bottom line, we know this took place in 44 A.D. by the order of King Herod Agrippa I. You see, Simon Peter had been arrested by King Herod, who intended, no doubt, to execute him also. In fact, Herod was so bent on keeping this prisoner for execution that the story goes on to say that he's bound by two chains in a Roman prison and guarded by 16 highly disciplined imperial soldiers. Not even Houdini could get out of that one. And you know, the disciples, where were they at? Well, we know from the story, they fully expected Peter to lose his life because they sure don't believe he's at the door when he's knocking. And they fully expect that they just need to go through the ritual of praying, not really expecting that prayer to be answered because when the answer is knocking on their door, they don't even recognize it. You know, that gives me a lot of comfort to know that their prayers are often a lot like our prayers. You know, Peter, too, I think probably fully expected to lose his life. We'll have to ask him in heaven. But what we do know is he felt pretty good about being ready to meet the Lord because he was soundly asleep between his two soldiers that were chained to him. That's a man facing execution, who's right with his maker. And we pick up the story in verse 7. And I got to tell you, it's, it's, not too, it's just so hard to read this and not smile when you read about this jailbreak. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. I just wonder how many times I've been woke up by an angel. You ever just wake up all of a sudden and you're wide awake and you say, what's going on? I don't know. Then an angel said to him, and by the way, some of you need to ask your angels to wake you up. But then an angel said to him, I told you it's hard to read this and not smile. Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel said or what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Thought he was dreaming. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, standing there outside of prison, I'm sure, and said, Now I know without a doubt 
Oh, how many times do we doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. That's a good thing. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When this had dawned on him, oh, oh, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed and ran back without opening it. Not a good move, especially on a jailbreak. And explained, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept assisting that it was so, they said, look at this. It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Yeah, they'd been praying, and they were astonished that God heard that prayer and answered it. Isn't that like us? There's so much in a study of angels to digest. Later on in this chapter, don't have time to look at it, that same Herod is struck down by an invisible angel, is eaten by worms, and dies. God says, enough, deal with him. I'm I'm tired of the noise, just deal with him. And the most powerful man on that side of the earth is struck down and dies. I want to close by narrowing our focus to this last thought. The one thing that I believe those first century disciples did believe, even though they didn't believe their prayers were always going to be powerfully answered, was they did believe in this concept, apparently, of guardian angels. Because it would be hard to decipher that statement, it must be his angel, not an angel, but his angel and you say, well, well, where did that come from? You know, my favorite movie of the holiday, the Christmas holiday, is It's a Wonderful Life. By far my favorite movie, watch it every year, at least once. And I love George Bailey's guardian angel, Clarence. You probably need to watch the movie. (laughs) He's lovable, but uh, he's a great guy. Great angel. I'll just leave it there. In Matthew 18, I want to close with these thoughts. It says in verse 10, See that you don't look down, Jesus says, on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my God, my Father in heaven. Their angels, not the angels. You say, well, this is is a bit of a leap for my, my doctrinal understanding. Well, then let me take you over to Revelation 2 and chapter 3, and we're not even going to bother to read it. 
But there are seven letters you probably know to seven churches. And I just want you to think about this fact. Each were addressed to the angel overseeing that church. It's just like the first example, Revelations 2, verse 1. I'll just show you one. To the angel of the church in Laodicea writes. The angel of the church specifically in Ephesus. When I said to you at the beginning of this message, I don't think we're alone here this morning, church. I think there are angels hovering over us. And I think we're in a joyful assembly. And I got to tell you, they've given me a lot more amens this morning than you have. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 9, think about this. The Apostle Paul said that he and his fellow apostles were on constant display to the whole universe, to angels, as well as to men. They didn't want to disappoint not only their God and their witnesses, other men, but their angels as well. If you think that's a stretch, how about 1 Timothy 5.21, our last verse, when Paul instructed Timothy in that great letter of instruction to a young evangelist, he says in verse 21 to Timothy about the ministry, he said he was doing so, giving him these instructions in the presence of the holy angels. We need to really lock in that those of us who will inherit eternal life have an incredible outlet of ministering spirits sent to serve those who are disciples of Christ. I shared a story at the beginning. I'll close with the story. Both happened this year in our life. A year ago, we went to Illinois for Thanksgiving and made that long, dreadful drive of 15 hours in one day. We were going to see Connie's parents and family, my mom and family, and we had cranked pretty hard before we left, and we were exhausted on the drive. We got to the outskirts of the downtown area of St. Louis, And it was dark, it was close to midnight, it was raining a lot, and we just couldn't see, there was no moon. And I'm always a little intimidated going into downtown St. Louis, it's an older city, the highways aren't that great in the downtown corridor, and you have to go there to get the bridge immediately that goes across the long Mississippi River. But it's a milestone that I know when I get there, Two more hours and we're, we're at my mom's. Well, last, uh, last year at Thanksgiving when we got to St. Louis, the rain was coming down so hard I could barely see. We were nearing the exit and coming to the exit to go up the ramp to go over the bridge over the Mississippi. 
Now, being an old city, they didn't have lights over the freeway. And apart from my car lights, I could see nothing in front of me. And so we're coming around a very steep curb to go up on the bridge, and everything is dark. And all of a sudden, I'm in a rental vehicle. We've got a, a Ford Explorer. And Connie and I are sitting there, and she's trying to help me see the road. And all of a sudden, we come around the curb. We're in the curb, and there are three lanes with walls on both sides, no shoulder. And right before our eyes, in a split second, was a, at least a four- or five-car pileup. Every single lane was taken. Debris was everywhere. I had the car on a cruise control at a modest speed of probably 65, 70. I mean, I wasn't going 100. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and, I, and I'm telling you, we just grabbed the seat, the steering wheel, and we fully expected this is it. Nothing I can do. We're going to plow in and add to the party. And you can choose to believe me, or you can choose better yet to believe Connie. Pure-hearted Connie. To this day, I have only one explanation. But it was like being in Star Trek. We just went through it. I don't know how we went through it. We're looking at it. We get out on the other side. Every lane has vehicles turned sideways, some facing us, debris everywhere. The car never rocked. We didn't hit debris. We, we screamed out, what just happened? And we couldn't stop talking for the next two hours. And again, if you don't believe me, that's fine. I don't stand up here and tell stories. I haven't shared this with you before because you couldn't handle the truth. You, you couldn't handle the truth before this sermon. You, you would just simply say, sure, sure. Wow. Okay. I'm going to share a second story next Sunday. Two supernatural experiences I've had in our life, Connie and I, that we simply look at and say, God is with us. We don't deserve it, but we have guardian angels looking out, protecting us. Guys, the sermon's real simple. Go pray. Stir things up in Satan's kingdom. Unleash the heavenly realms and understand that we should not be the same person today than we were eight days ago before we understand what we have in our midst. God bless you.